This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. Find all my work at mjmunoz.com. Welcome to my fully operational analysis of Star Wars, The Mandalorian, Episode 13, cha- or Chapter 13, Season 2, Episode 5, uh, The Jedi. Visit mjmunoz.com slash fo for notes and links, and don't forget to subscribe. Like, share, and comment to help me grow. So, this episode of The Mandalorian is kind of a big deal, like a huge deal in a lot of ways. But uh, I'm going to talk about, you know, the fact that Ahsoka's in here. But first I'm going to talk about the episode as a whole, and then I'll focus on all the stuff about Ahsoka being in here um, and why I think it's important or not important or whatever. So here we go. It was written and directed by Dave Filoni, supervising uh, director of the Clone Wars, or he was supervising director of Rebels and, like, the director of Clone Wars at some point. Anyway, the guy uh, was intimately involved with the creation of Ahsoka Tano uh, at the side of George Lucas uh, as they decided that it would be a great idea to give Anakin Skywalker a uh, Padawan and that it would be a great idea for them to make it a young lady. So, anyway... Uh, I don't want to get too off track on that, but I just thought I, I had to say it now. So here we go. I like the episode overall. Uh, we get some big reveals. Like, I don't know why one of them shocked me now that I think back on it, but it almost felt like it was uh, making something that had been Legends canon, uh, even though it's been canon again for a long time since, you know, like the middle of, oh, it's like second season of Star Wars Rebels. Anyway, whew. And maybe even were there books already? It doesn't matter. I'll get back to that later. But I like the episode overall. Uh, Just to think about it, you know, from a a distance, the idea is that uh, Mando comes to Corvus, I believe is the name of the planet. It's this war-torn planet. Of course, we get this opening scene with this, uh, you know, deadly dual-wielding Jedi uh, hunting down these mercs, merc and mercs. And um, we got a lot of great action. So... That was a lot of fun. I was a little bit worried about how they would handle the lightsaber and Jedi action in, I guess, this lower budget environment, but uh, I was really impressed. And maybe, who knows, maybe they threw some more cash at it because they thought it would be super important. Um, And, uh, (laughs) well, I'll get cynical at the end, okay? I'll get cynical at the end. But for now, I'll just say they cared, so they made sure it looked good, especially because Filoni was involved with this. He, He needed it to look good. Um... And I, I thought the action did look good. But anyway, so uh, we start off with that, uh, you know, pre, like the cold open of Ahsoka on Corvus and she's doing her thing, fighting against these people. Then Mando finally lands there. He and Grogu, Grogu the child, <laughs> uh, who may not be, uh, he may be older than 50 years old, uh, Maybe, but then again, if you're... Anyway, I'll get to that soon. Um, But he gets him, he takes him in, and he meets the lady who's running this uh, settlement on Corvus, and she basically propositions him that he should kill the Jedi there, and he'll get this spear made of pure Beskar, which is really dope. And um, then he goes, contacts Ahsoka, brings Grogu to him. He learns that the child's name is Grogu, not Hey Kid. And uh, there is a very interesting exchange where Ahsoka refuses to train Grogu because of his strong attachment to the Mandalorian, the fear, and the anger she senses in him. And basically, she says that 
she alludes to the fact that even the best of us, even the best Jedi, can fall to the dark side if they are not trained properly, and that it's better to leave him untrained and allow his powers to fade, so to speak. And furthermore, we learn that Grogu had been trained by several Jedi Masters over the years on Coruscant and was hidden during the Purge, you know, on Empire Day or whatever, and uh, was protected. She also mentions that Grogu learned to suppress his powers in order that he may not be found, uh, you know, exposed and then killed. So uh, it's very interesting. Very interesting stuff is going on here. Um, of course, we have the allusion to Anakin. Uh, we have direct talking about the history in the past with the Jedi. Pur Unfortunately, she didn't call it the Jedi purge because he could have been like, there was a Mandalorian purge too. And the Empire did it. She's like, yeah, I know. I, I get it, bub. I get it. Um, but yeah, that was super interesting. But beyond, beyond that, uh, then they decide to work together. And this was cute. Um, he says something like, oh, a Jedi and a Mandalorian, they'll never see it coming. And they do decide to work together. There's, uh, I liked the ruse. I was wondering if she was going to throw his helmet down, but it was just his, uh, his pauldron with the, uh, the, uh, Mudhorn insignia on it. Well, that was a good way for her to get in and say, um, like basically I've killed your Jedi or your, your bounty hunter who came after me. I did think it was interesting though, that like the plan worked <laughs> when it shouldn't have, like the lady of the, uh, of the, the planet, I don't know if it's supposed to be, you know, sign our fleet systems or, or what the company is supposed to be that, uh, she's working for that's, you know, uh, destroying these planets that Ahsoka's working against. Um, but anyway, um, the, the, the way that the lady takes Ahsoka in, or she doesn't take her in, she flees, sort of, I think is what happens. Yeah, she flees into her, you know, retreat or whatever, which is beautiful compared to the rest of the planet, which, uh, uh just shows you how it goes when you're in power and you're, uh, you know, manipulating and oppressing people around you, uh, you usually have it pretty good yourselves. Think of, you know, the, the party or whatever they called them in 1984. Think of, uh, how fat Kim Jong-un is. He's still alive, right? Yeah, I think he's okay. Anyway, um, compared to, you know, your standard North Korean, uh, think about a lot of stuff. Um, you know, the elites, the oligarchs always get everything to themselves and give the people the scraps so they can subsist and continue to be slaves for them. But whatever. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Just an interesting detail. Interesting bit of world building, like very silent world building. And I appreciate that. Anyway, Ahsoka does infiltrate. It's not that the lady invites her in for a fight, but, you know, Ahsoka infiltrates while Mando's doing his thing uh, in the, you know, the other half of the village or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, we got a really awesome fight between Ahsoka and this lady. And then we had a really interesting exchange between Kevin Bean. That's his name, right? Uh, or Michael Bean. I don't know. The guy who played John Connor's dad in the original Terminator. He was in this. Um, but a really interesting exchange between him and Amando. It was interesting how fraught and full of tension it was. And it was funny because the ladies were over on the other side having this awesome fight. And, the guys were just kind of standing there and it was very slow and very methodical, but it was interesting to me. It seemed, uh, it was very satisfying, but it seemed like an interesting interplay. And I kind of thought like, oh, is, were these guys having like a mental and, um, like a mental, not spiritual. I, for some reason, I'm, I'm thinking back to, uh, I think it was Jet Li's hero and I think that's what it was called, where there was, like, Broken Sword. Anyway, there was this legend of all, of this guy who fought all these people. Um, 
and it was very fantastical in the hands of dying, uh, but it unites all of China as one, one continent or whatever, or one, you know, people. Um, but there's this part where he and another guy are like meditating and they battle in their heart and then like, they can't, <laughs> it's kind of like Dooku and Yoda, like, Oh, our force powers aren't enough. We must do, you know, duel with each other with lightsabers. Um, and it was, sorry, it was a terrible Christopher Lee. Please, please excuse me. Anyway, but they end up uh, having to actually fight. And Mando and this this guy uh, kind of do this weird thing where uh, you get these nice uh, focus shots on Mando, like moving his hand away, moving his hand towards, you know, being careful with his hand over his gun. And this guy, you know, he's got like this awesome like shotgun style, uh, you know, laser blaster. And, you know, he's assuring him, hey, you know, I, I hear my sight is lost, so I'm going to go ahead and let this be. I'm going to set this thing down. And then he goes to shoot Mando, and Mando gets him first. But I don't know. That was really interesting. A very interesting exchange. Um, I don't know that I thought, like, the tension was, uh, you know, too high or whatever, but uh, or it was, like, so high. But it was just, it was a really interesting exchange, especially because you could hear the ladies fighting in the background. It just, I don't know. It was really neat. It was, uh, it was very novel. I guess maybe that's what it was. It felt very novel. Um, for anything we've seen in Star Wars. Exchanges usually don't get to go on that long because it's always about going faster and being more intense. But this was, you know, not as fast, but still intense. I, I like that. And I think, um, you know, Luke is saying that with A New Hope uh, and, uh, you know, maybe with some of the other films makes sense because it's a movie. You, you don't have the time. But in this, you know, in this format, we have a lot more time to make things slower, methodical, you know, plan them out. Not plan them out. <laughs> Playing them out. That's funny. Uh, maybe the show's planned out, but I don't know about any, anything else that they've done in the last few years. Um, but what I really meant to say is that uh, you have time to let things breathe. Um, just like with the Clone Wars, we saw things develop over time, and you you get that in Rebels, you get that here. So um, I won't speak for the other show because I Resistance. I didn't even watch it, so um, I'm a fake geek boy, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so I, I liked the tension. I liked the action. Like it was cool to, you know, uh, sieging this town um, and having the showdown between Ahsoka and this lady. And, you know, it ultimately leads to uh, she's looking for this lady's master who is Grand Admiral Thrawn. And I don't know why that hit me as hard as it did watching this. But I guess maybe seeing a live action Ahsoka talk about a live action uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn just like... I don't know, man. It like blew me. Like it almost, it didn't give me chills, but like it almost could have. I, I like laughed out loud and my wife looked at me cause I was watching it, you know, quietly. Um, and, uh, I was like, Oh, I, I can't tell you. Like, like I'll let you know later. I'll let you know later. Um, but man, that was, uh, that was a great surprise. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess that's all I have to, I mean, I, I know I kind of, uh, recapped the episode. I don't like recapping episodes. Um, but just to, it, you know, kind of helped me focus and talk about the different elements that I thought were pretty neat. Um, I'm going to circle back and just say, uh, I'm going to talk about Ahsoka, uh, first and the lightsaber action. And then we'll go on from there. Uh, so, uh, oh man, it's funny. We just watched a movie as a family together that happened to have Rosario Dawson in. And I was thinking, oh, she's going to be Ahsoka and I'm going to watch that like tomorrow. Anyway, so that, that was pretty fun. Um, but anyway, so like seeing her as Ahsoka, her not being Ashley Eckstein, her not looking or, or rather sounding like Ashley Eckstein, I had no problem with it. I was thinking the tint of the orange skin was like perfect. Uh, I think a lot, I think the white markings on her face did a lot to sell it as Ahsoka. And she also just, 
Uh, allegedly, Rosario Dawson's a fan of Clone Wars, which and like had volunteered years ago, like, oh, if there's ever an opportunity, I'll play live action. So I get that's that's the legend I hear. I don't know if it's true or not, but like she really seemed to embody Ahsoka. Like it looked as if the Clone Wars character stepped into you know the real third dimension or the fourth dimension or whatever we're in, and like just was there. And I didn't mind her not sounding like Ashley Eckstein. Um, it just feels to me like this is a different interpretation of Ahsoka. This is the live action version of her. And I'm totally good with that. And honestly, I thought I'd be upset. I thought, like, oh, maybe Ashley Eckstein can play her. But like, they went, they went a different direction and I wasn't mad. Um, this felt very true to Ahsoka. There were some moments, quiet moments that she had with Grogu where... Uh, like they were meditating or like communicating telepathically, which is something I love. And I think more Jedi should do. And I was always disappointed in the prequels when they had their little calm thingies. But I guess the, technically like they needed the calm in order to you know, analyze Anakin's blood and things like that. So it's not too bad. But anyway, uh, with Luke, between Luke and Leia and, and Luke and um, Vader, I thought all Jedi could communicate with each other uh, telepathically if they wanted to. But it doesn't seem like that's necessarily true or it's kept vague but anyway regardless Grogu and Ahsoka did and that was all great um I loved her performance uh in the quieter moments uh she seems to have there's like a weight and like a wisdom to her character and she definitely feels like she's been through a lot but there's also like a gentleness and a softness and we got to see that with Grogu and she wasn't like being indulgent um like a person would be to a child but more like I mean, because I think technically he still is a child physiologically and, you know, developmentally speaking, like with his species, but like, he's not a regular child, you know? Um, and, uh, I just, I really liked the way she played that. Uh, I loved the action scenes, her fighting with the lady at the end, the big showdown was super awesome. I loved the moment when she switched, when she just had the one lightsaber and she switched to her, uh, reversed, uh, handling of the lightsaber, like. Ahsoka used to do, or, you know, when she just had the one lightsaber in the beginning, ha, ah, that like, <laughs> that was crazy. It was so awesome. Um, and I'm sure that just had a big impact on me because I'm used to seeing that from Clone Wars, you know, I mean, all I, I'm thinking about it in my mind, her fighting Grievous, her fighting Ventress, her fighting, uh, the Magna guards that Jabba had for some, oh no, those were, those were Dooku's anyway, fighting the Magna guards in the, uh, Clone Wars movie, um, on Christophsis, all this stuff, like that, that thing was, a, that was a unique thing about Ahsoka, other than her being a little Togruton Padawan to Anakin, um, with an awesome green lightsaber, but man, anyway, that was super cool, and then also, like, the effect that they used, I don't know how they did it exactly, but the effect that they used for, because I, I loved how she was like this, uh, she felt very deadly, uh, she was like, straight up killing these guys, and I was really impressed by the action, and it made me think a little bit about, um, the end of season seven of the Clone Wars where, uh, and I did a whole episode about this, like what were the consequences of her, you know, releasing Maul and, you know, how could she be okay with killing all those people? I think it's called Ahsoka's Folly. You can look for it in the fully operational feed. It's like 16 or 17, something like that. But also in the last episode, the review or the analysis I did of that one, I think I talked about like how she was killing people and like how she was trying not to, but you know, she was doing it. She was accepting it. And like, sometimes you have to kill to survive and uh, that's what she's doing here. She's looking for a greater threat. She's looking for Thrawn. I guess uh, if you want to go into spoilers uh, to Rebel for Rebels a little bit, it's just a little taste. Uh, Thrawn should be in possession or in communication with someone important to Ahsoka and the Rebels crew because of the way that series ends. I'm being vague enough, I think. Um, 
And if Grand Admiral Thrawn is active again, then that means that uh, he should be, if she finds him, she should be able to find their friend, which would make sense that they'd want to do that. And uh, this guy's an important person. So uh, I guess that's pretty much it. But I thought that was pretty, pretty clever. But anyway, going back to it, uh, the way she was stalking these guys, vanishing by turning off her lightsabers and running around in the shadows and the fog and stuff and coming up behind these guys, jumping around, like being very tactical and, and stealth and deadly and stuff. That was super cool. And uh, again, I like the idea that like the Jedi should be more peacekeepers and should be less warriors and they shouldn't be, you know, killing dozens of people or like, you know, a handful of people in a day. But, uh, you know. I don't know, like, what's the ultimate good? And, like, how, like, what is the ethic of the Jedi? And how do they get to decide, like, yeah, now we're going to kill a bunch of people versus, um, like, no, we're going to be peacemakers. And maybe it's if people refuse to make peace with you and it's critical to time, that's when you, you know, start the killing. Um, excuse me, but I'd also like to, uh, like, it was interesting. She never said, like, I'm not a Jedi. And I was expecting her to say uh, that at some point. And I'm glad she didn't repeat her line of, I am no Jedi. Um, but... Getting back to, like, the actual, like, lightsabers cutting through stuff, that was all super awesome. I loved how, like, at one point she, like, cut through a tree, and then she took the chunk of the tree and forced through it at somebody, and then she cut through that giant bell or gong that they were using, too. And just, like, the effect of it looked really crisp, and, like, none of it looked fake. And I was really impressed by that. There were some moments where, like, the way she was holding the lightsaber, and I wonder if it was just Dawson's performance, like, she wasn't quite used to it yet, or, like, I don't know how quickly they filmed it all, but, like, something looked a little bit off. And I couldn't tell if it uh, looked bad or if it just looked realistic. Like there was a certain bounce to the the way she was holding the the blades, and maybe it was because they were actually weighted. Because uh, it looks to me like they had you know maybe pulls on, or maybe they did. I think for Force Awakens and such, they did uh, actual lightsabers that were the color, and um, with like minor tweaking afterwards, they had their look. Uh, that's why like the blue and the red. Uh, lights on um, the faces of uh, the actors. Uh, Dave Perkins? No, this is I don't even know who Dave Perkins is. Um, anyway, the guy who played Kylo Ren and Daisy Ridley, um, Adam Driver. Like, in, <laughs> like there's blue and red lights from the lightsabers in their eyes and on their faces, and that's shining on them because they're using like, you know, the master replica or whatever style lightsabers while they were doing their duel. Um, on the snow planet, for example, in, in the force awakens. So I wonder if they were using, I wonder, like, I want to know what, I want to see the behind the scenes and know what kind of uh, lightsaber she was using. Cause I wouldn't be surprised if she had something with a full blade on it. Um, and then they just, you know, popped those off or, you know, swapped them out for ones with just the hilts to, for the scenes where she's expanding, you know, or opening or closing the lightsaber. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. It looked really good. <laughs> it looked really good. It was very cool. Um, and then as far as Grogu's concerned, I love the fact that she's not going to take him away from, uh, Din and that she points out that they have an attachment and then that's, that, 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 that is dangerous. Um, I'm really interested in how mystic it's going to be. Uh, the temple that she told him to go to on the planet, was it Tachyon, Titan, hold on, Tython. So Tython is super cool. Uh, there's already a Star Wars Explained video about this as I'm, um, reading it, and I was sure there would be, uh, so you can check, the, I mean, you should, you've probably seen that already, I'm a much smaller person. Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, Tython is mentioned in the, uh, gosh, it's not a new Dawn, it's like Dawn of the Jedi, that kind of thing. There's a whole Marvel comic series about, uh, people living on Tython, I believe, and, uh, 
I'm tempted. And there's there's a Dawn of the Jedi book series as well. Don't remember who who did those necessary, or I don't remember who did those books, but um, something you could check out, especially if you have like the Marvel Limited app, like I do. Um, there's a whole 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 bunch of uh, Dark Horse uh, originally Dark Horse comics that were done uh, with the ancient Jedi, and it sounds like there's like eight different schools of Jedi, and it's like the different schools of Kung Fu. There's like the science Jedi, the architectural or not architectural, the uh, like archaeologist Jedi. There's the fighter Jedi, there's the healer Jedi, there's all these different kinds of Jedi. Uh, it sounds pretty fun. Um, like I said already, I think it's, it sounds like different you know, bands of Kung Fu masters who all specialize in different things and whatnot. Uh, but anyway, that's, that, that leads into that. But I'm super interested in that idea that he could go to this focal point where the, you know, is it a, a force nexus or whatever, where he can potentially call out to somebody. And I'll be interested to see how they do that. Um, I thought it was interesting that every time Din called out Grogu, he like snapped his head and, and I honestly wondered, like if you've got one of those toys, uh, if you call it Grogu, or if you say Grogu to it, will that trigger it, a response in it for it to like snap its head and look at you and be extra cute and like say something, murmur something? I don't know. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. I wonder if, uh, like, are they really going to get let him get, I mean, there's only two more episodes left. Uh, oh no, three more episodes. Okay, so that kind of changes things. Um, I mean, when Ahsoka spoke about other Jedi though, so... Let me finish my thought. Are they really going to let him get to, uh, what is it, Tython? Oh my gosh, man. Yeah, Tython. Are they really going to let him get to Tython next episode? Probably not. Will he get to it by episode 8 and have some sort of resolution? I don't know. I mean, he's got the tracker on his on his ship. It's been there since last episode. Let's not forget about that. At the end of last episode, it was on there when he left from Navarro to Novus? <laughs> um, or Corvus. Corvus is what it's called. So if he goes to Tython, wherever that is, I would assume it's not in the core, you know. Um, but they're already like in the outer, outer rim, I believe. Uh, if he goes there, uh, is that are they going to track him down? Are they going to catch him, uh, interdict him on the way there? Uh, what exactly is going to happen? How is he going to get out of that mess and get to Tython? Will he ever make it? I don't know. Or will they just survive season two? And then season three will be will be about getting to Tython. Who can say? Uh, I mean, Dave Filoni, <laughs> Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, and uh, John Favreau, and uh, you know, Taika Waititi and the others working on, on the show, probably. But anyway, um, I don't know. I, I'm really interested to see what happens with that. Uh, when Ahsoka was talking about other Jedi maybe finding him, it made me think of Luke and how amazing that would be. And um, does she know that Luke is there? <laughs> like... Oh, man, I just I'm so upset that we never got to see uh, Ahsoka in uh, the sequel trilogy. I'm so upset that she wasn't like an elder master there. Um, I wanted stories where Luke met Ahsoka and got to talk about Anakin. And wow. <laughs> anyway, I, I need to stop because I'm just going to start being a real uh, geek here and uh, fanboying out at, at my own, you know, dreams of, of what was to come, uh, or what could have been, what should have been in my opinion. But so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let you go. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. There's, I think as an episode on its own, it was really cool. You get to see an awesome Jedi at action. You got to see her fighting with this. Oh, Oh, you got to discover. Okay. So why have the Jedi and the, uh, and the Mandalorians, these ancient enemies? I always wondered what, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about a Mandalorian? What can a Mandalorian do? 
against the Jedi to make them so good at killing them or fighting them or whatever. Especially because, like, Cad Bane had all these gadgets, his breathing mask, his rocket boots, his little wire harpoon thingies. You know, he's just a devious dude overall. He's very crafty, very clever. He's good at killing them because of that. Um, even, I would say Cad Bane was a better Jedi killer than General Grievous. Because he wasn't, you know, as cybernetically enhanced and he wasn't trained by a Jedi killer, you know, by Count Dooku or whatever. Um, and he had killed, I think, several, like three or four Jedi just on his own and like outside of the context of the Clone Wars. So that's, that's pretty darn good. Anyway, um, and the dude gave, uh, Cat, um, Obi-Wan a, a run for his money. So, and, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Vis? Vint? Vint? Vince Vis? Uh, I cannot remember his name right now, but that's okay. The guy who had the story with, uh, the bald lady. <laughs> I'm not helping myself at all. Not Pre Vizsla, that's a Mandalorian from Death Watch. Uh, wow. I'm so lost, I cannot think of it. The guy with the yellow stripe on his face, um, kind of went to the dark side, came back. There was a whole book about it, a big Clone Wars character. Anyway, he and Obi-Wan were tracking down Mama the Hut, or... Not Mama, but Zero. <laughs> and they met Mama the Hut. Anyway, I, I will stop now. I will stop now and uh, get back on point. Um, but the Beskar is lightsaber proof. I did not know that. And I don't know. Like, I never got, like, super into the Mandalorians or, uh, like, the Bounty Hunters or whatever and read a bunch on them. Like, I always meant to. Well, no. I mean, I read a decent amount. But, like, I don't ever remember in... I read like a third or two thirds of Knights of the Old Republic. And the reason I say one or two thirds is because I bought two omnibuses and I know I read through one for sure. And I think I read through the second one. I don't ever remember uh, Zane Carrick or anybody else wielding a lightsaber coming up against a Mandalorian and not being able to cut through their armor at all. I remember in le the legacy comics that uh, like the Emperor, the Jedi Emperor or whatever, um, had Emperor Fall, right? Fell? Anyway, uh, that dude... Um, he had Cortosis armor and, uh, somebody was fighting against him and they hit him and, uh, he like, I can't remember if it was like a Vombrace or like a forearm armor or if it was a pauldron or what, but the guy hit him and he's like, oh, this guy's surely dead. And it's, nope, nope. He's surely wearing uh Cortosis armor that, uh, is totally lightsaber proof. And I don't remember if it shorts out lightsabers or if it just stops them. But like the Beskar took a two, like took Ahsoka's two lightsabers on the forearms and, wasn't damaged like it it looked like it was completely fine which was amazing um that was super cool to see we've seen like the zilla beasts armor uh or scales weren't affected by uh lightsabers uh in the eu luke fights like this dragon that lives in lava or whatever and it um has scales that aren't affected by his lightsaber uh but then and then i knew about cartosis and even uh, i was just listening to a new dawn and uh um it recanonized Cortosis, and uh, one of the characters has a like Cortosis uh, armor of some sort. It's I think it's a weave of Cortosis, probably because it's such a rare mineral or whatever. But uh, it affects, it makes it so that blaster fire doesn't affect them. Uh, which I don't know if that's the deal with Cortosis. I mean, uh, you would think if a lightsaber can't penetrate it, then, then neither can uh, blaster fire. But I don't know what unique properties cause that to be the case. But yeah, Beskar is lightsaber proof. So if you've got these lightsaber proof. Uh, armies of people coming at you and they have all these crazy weapons um, on them and they're basically living weapons that your lightsaber can't pierce. I mean, you could find a joint, go for the neck, whatever. That's, I guess, the way you'd have to kill them. Uh, that would make sense. And I guess, I guess, uh, going back, maybe that's why, I wonder if that was a, an idea Lucas had and that's why Jango Fett got uh, his head cut off 
And that's why Mace like brutally murdered him or not murdered him, but killed him uh, in such a way because it was the most efficient way to do it. And uh, it just had to be done because he couldn't pierce through the armor, couldn't rely on uh, wasting time. He couldn't rely on if I don't go for this kill shot. Uh, he couldn't rely on surviving if he didn't go for a kill shot because, um, you know, Django would have survived, uh, you know, his Beskar would have deflected uh, uh, or repelled the lightsaber. That's super interesting. Hmm. Anyway, that was super exciting, and now I understand why the Jedi feared the Mandalorians and why the Mandalorians and the Jedi, you know, would have fought so hard. And of course, uh, the Mandalorians would have been proud to have uh, an an armor, an armaments that could, that were like Jedi proof. Because uh, besides the Force, their biggest weapon would be uh, the lightsaber. So, wow, that's super fascinating. I wonder if Obi Wan knew that Beskar armor was. <laughs> I mean, obviously he didn't. Uh, unless Lucas had that idea all the way back then, and that's why he like had such a hard time tussling with Jango Fett. I don't know. Probably not, but going back and thinking about it now, uh, that almost makes it even more fun and a little more dangerous and makes Obi-Wan a little cooler because he went toe-to-toe with a Mandalorian like that. Huh. Wow, that's really cool. All right. Well, uh, I think I've gone on for long enough. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here and... Uh, like I said, you can check out mgmunners.com slash fo or just mgmunners.com to find my other work. I talk about a lot of stuff other than Star Wars. Uh, talk about some anime every now and then. Um, I talk about comics over on Swinging Through Comics. And, well, there's lots of other stuff. I, I've got all sorts of stuff that I've written over there as well, so you can check those things out. Um, until next time, folks, take care. <laughs>